You know what, Mr. Lawler? I've heard all these things you've been saying about me on television. You want to wrestle me? You want to wrestle me, my for style? All right, fine. I'm not afraid of you, Mr. Lawler, because let me tell you something. True, I only wrestle women, but I've wrestled women that are a lot bigger and stronger than you. Matter of fact, they're probably smarter than you because you don't have any brains. You're from Memphis, Tennessee. All you do is plow the fields and farm and the farm and the... Uh, is that how you talk to Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Lawler? Duh. See, Mr. Lawler, you don't have any brains. I am from Hollywood. I have the brains. That's how I win my matches. I say the bigger they come, the harder they fall. You might be twice as big as me, but I've wrestled women that are twice as big as me, and I've mopped the floor with them. And that's what I'm going to do with you, Mr. Lawler. You challenged me to a wrestling match. I think you bit off a little more than you can chew. I'm going to wipe the floor with you, Mr. Lawler. I'll give you a little sample. This is what's going to happen when you and I wrestle each other in Memphis. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Episode, or excuse me, WrestleMania bonus episode number three. I was having to think about that. We did Ready to Rumble, and we did uh, Glow last year. And as always, my self-imposed tradition here on the podcast of right before WrestleMania time, uh, we have a bonus episode that, in some way, shape, or form, uh, pertains to the genre of professional wrestling. And here today, we tackled Man on the Moon, the Milos Forman film from 1999, of course, starring Jim Carrey. I would say that for the first hour of the movie, we're pretty much stretching the definition of what a WrestleMania bonus episode would be. Absolutely. <laughs> but then it gets into into the yeah. the wrestling of it all. The second act is the, yeah. that's where our WrestleMania bonus kicks in. That's what we all came <laughs> really? well, and also, I Kaufman, who cares? But I believe I'll have to get this uh, during our intermission. But I believe it's about sixty-three percent. This movie's rated at, so yes, it doesn't appeal. We we would have to do it for some sort of bonus episode. Yeah. Um, this was my first viewing of Man on the Moon, and you know I, I do love wrestling and uh, a wrestling story. But um, man, for a movie that was only two hours long, it felt like it should have been much longer because it just tries to bottleneck a ton of shit in really quickly. It tries to Forrest Gump the life of uh, Andy Kaufman. That's and, a wonderful way of putting it. Yeah, and I, I mean, Milos Forman is no Robert Zemeckis. Oh, he no, he is not. There's been no Milos Forman presents the Polar Express. <laughs> well, I think if Robert Zemeckis had been directing Man on the Moon, we would have gotten flawless CGI, uh, just recreations of what the taxi David cast Letterman. Like. Oh yeah, yeah. But not this Letterman weird. wouldn't even been on set. He would. Just, they just sort of had to CGI rendering of him. Yeah. 
Um, so since we're kind of in a gray area, but it's more of a positive, so we'll start off with uh, what are we starting off with? The positive, the positive. Reviews. Yeah, I mean, the juicy tomatoes, red tomatoes. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes still qualifies it as fresh, even at sixty three percent. So we're going with that. Okay. We're, we're we're playing fast and loose with the with all the it is all the rules and regulations. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no pile drivers. No. We'll, we'll draw the line there. <laughs> uh, okay, so we start with Rob Gonzalez, who's from eFilmCritic.com, and says, A teeming, fast-paced spin through a particularly strange showbiz life. Uh, Rich Klein from Shadows on the Wall says, A fascinating, deeply entertaining film about a man who was impossible to define. James Kendrick from Q Network Film Desk says, Both wildly entertaining and strangely moving. David Anson from Newsweek says, Kaufman always wanted to keep us guessing, and this movie respects his wishes. Jay Boyar from the Orlando Sentinel says, What the filmmakers have accomplished here is the simplest and best thing they could have possibly done. For two hours, they have brought Andy back to us just as we remember him. And finally, Kenneth Turan from Los Angeles Times says, A brilliant, almost terrifying impersonation. I could go with that because what little I do and what little I have seen of Andy Kaufman, which based on our little give and take or back and forth before recording, my knowledge of Andy Kaufman going into this was greater than yours when you originally saw it 20 years ago. Yes. I hadn't even seen Taxi. Okay. So with that in mind, yeah, Jim Carrey was clearly, he, he done did his homework for this one. You could argue that he overdid his homework. You could argue and most likely win a debate if that was your stance. <laughs> um. So the movie right away, it starts with the ending. Like Andy wants to end the movie, and only because he wants to make sure the people that care about his story hang around. It, did, did Milo's foreman expect this to work? Who I, bought a ticket and thought, "Oh, okay, it's over. I'm leaving now." I I think that Milo's foreman had the greatest uh, backdoor escape ever uh, that will never work again. But in this case, he could have just said. Well, that's what Andy Kaufman would have done. Mm-hmm. And then he could just get away with anything. Because no one can try it. Right. It was just like, oh, well, of course, it's nonsensical. That that fits with this movie. So, sure, we'll roll the opening, the, the ending credits at the very beginning of the movie. Ha, ha. And it's in black and white. And then it just For kind no of, reason. Yeah, exactly. And then it, they literally spend about two minutes on his childhood. Like they don't even explain why he wants to be a comedian or why right, he wants he's just, to be. He's just staring at the wall. Yeah, he's just a weird kid. They don't explain why he wants to be on television, and then they just skip twenty years. He's singing a song to his little sister about noises animals make, and then cuts to the mid to late seventies, and he's doing the same song in his act. Like with many of these movies that uh, that we review. You know, when they don't work, when they get the rotten treatment, you always hear the director going, well, there was a bigger cut. There was a longer cut that mm-hmm. explains everything. This one is fresh, so we don't get that statement from Milos Foreman. But I would imagine there's at least 30 solid minutes of childhood stuff mm-hmm. that explains Andy's behavior through the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, we don't get that. There's none of that. There's no. nothing that explains why he's as eccentric as he is and where he got his inspiration because he's not a comedian. He's a performance artist. They, they go to much like he did when he was alive. That was a point he always nailed home. Yeah. He, uh, I think that it was just one of those things where all the audience wants Jim Carrey and this kid (laughs) is not Jim Carrey. Exactly. So he bombs his set. The first set we see of him, it's clearly not his first set he's ever done. He references other ones, but he bombs and the club owner tells him, you know, you got to, 
what does he say? You got to be topical. You got to do impressions. Talk you about at, traffic. At least tell jokes. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it goes to another show in the not so distant future where he's doing the accent of um, Latka. Latka, the Lithuania, I think, is the country that he claims that he's from. I'm uh, pretty sure it's it's a racist joke. If uh, if we were more familiar with everything <laughs> that, that he's referencing, uh, but. He tries to do, you know, what they mentioned, talk about traffic, talk about his wife. And then just out of nowhere, he does this spot on Elvis impression that brings the house to its feet. Yeah, it's really frustrating because uh, just putting aside Jim Carrey's talent, uh, I just this is the opening salvo of the movie, the the, the first act where we're getting, in theory, getting to know Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And really, all we're getting is this picture of a guy that clearly had talent and could be funny mm -hmm. but just decided not to be and then he would be frustrated when people wouldn't wouldn't react to that so he complains and even then i think that first scene when he gets fired from that club when we first meet him as an adult uh i thought i caught a smile from him as he's walking away from the whole thing as in like the whole thing was a gag that yeah. he just played on the owner which really that does not endear me to him mm -mm. as a character I, I and this is something that goes through the entire movie against all odds he becomes wildly successful and yet he resents success and mm -hmm. he is even more of an asshole the more successful he becomes so i i don't mean to speak ill of the dead but fuck you andy kaufman <laughs> <laughs> and not like in a weird artistic way like kurt cobain or what have you but more of just He's mad that he didn't get famous for the reasons he wanted to. Right. It's like, I want to get famous because I'm just this guy that likes to mind fuck with people. Mm -hmm. Not because people find my the funny voice. They find that hilarious. Well, at this show with the uh, Latka voice and the Elvis impression in the crowd was uh, George Shapiro, played by Danny DeVito, uh, who is a talent agent who introduces himself to Andy backstage. And they hit it off right away. And Andy basically... They go to, I think, a dinner right afterwards, and he's trying to sell himself on, you know, what all he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish, all these things. And uh, Danny DeVito is obviously a bit trepidatious at first, but I think he sees something in Andy. I think uh, this is Danny DeVito, like you've never seen him before, mm -hmm. um, with a mustache that's very manly. I think Matilda is the only other movie I can think of. Where also he had... Jet Black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's the only actor where the where you can believe his age in mm -hmm. this movie. Everybody else, whenever you get a, a famous cameo, and there's so many of them in this movie. Who would you have liked to see play Danny DeVito for the taxi role? Right. Since it should have been Danny DeVito. It should have been a, a, a double. You know, you have DeVito in the booth playing Shapiro, mm -hmm. and then you have DeVito on the set playing DeVito. Like, but it, a CGI younger DeVito? No, fuck it. They don't care about yeah, that that's in this right, movie. Yeah, in this the, movie, everybody looks old. Mm -hmm. uh, I What I really... I I remember that DeVito was not in the movie as as his taxi mm -hmm. version. I did not remember that Tony Danza didn't come back for this. Oh no. And uh he was far too busy. <laughs> peddling calling cards in the late 90s. Well, he was still uh was it uh The boss? He wasn't the boss anymore. It might be a pre-production of Don John or something. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's a, a better question, I think. Who would have played Tony Danza? If you can't get the real Tony Bobby Danza. Bobby Cannavale? Although he might have been yeah, too young in 1999. Conversation is over. Tony Cannavale, <laughs> even if he was six. 
So they have their dinner and discuss, you know, plans for the future. And then this movie, you know, talk about the fast forward button. It's like, I think the next scene he's on Saturday Night Live. And you have Richard Belzer up there, who I that was a pretty far away shot. That could have been anybody in that leather jacket. Well, there's just like we cut 30 minutes out of the childhood storyline. They might have cut out 15 minutes of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Richard Belzer. That There you go. So in the first act, or yeah, this was still the first act. There's the WrestleMania tie. Because, like I said, right before the first WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan almost murdered Richard Belzer on live television. Right. Which would have, of course, led to the demise of the first WrestleMania, and we would not be sitting here. Where would we be now? Universes torn apart. <laughs> like, I want to imagine there's an alternate timeline where Richard Belzer does die, WrestleMania doesn't happen, and I just disappear. <laughs> I never existed to begin with. Um, and Andy Kaufman is still doing Saturday Night Live, bro. <laughs> Andy Kaufman is the president. <laughs> I like that timeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to sacrifice your existence, but I kind of <laughs> like it. And it's the Mighty Mouse bit, the famous Mighty Mouse bit, the Here I Come to Save the Day on Saturday Night Live. And it takes people a while to warm up to it, but he eventually, you know, the crowd's in a frenzy over it. Uh, speaking of people not playing to their age, so you have the real Lorne Michaels playing young Lorne oh, Michaels. God. Yeah, so this is a reoccurring theme throughout the film of – People that were there with the real Andy Kaufman playing themselves, but they go to no effort to make themselves look how they were 25 right. years younger. They look present day, mm-hmm. or at least what was present day in 1999. Uh, and that's. And, you know, Lauren Michaels was old in 1999, so good on him because he hasn't really aged in the past 20 years. Uh, yeah, he has a lot of money. It's true. <laughs> uh, that uh, Scrooge McDuck bathtub <laughs> <just> really de ages <laughs> you. Uh, that's another idea that really it can only work if you have that card of, well, that's what Andy Kaufman would have done. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have cared that it yeah. doesn't make sense that they look so old. So SNL kind of gives Andy a false sense of security in that he thinks he's going to you know use this to springboard onto different performance shows, things of that nature, when uh, – Shapiro, his agent, informs him that, you know, Taxi is what's on the horizon, a sitcom, and Andy is not at all keen on the idea of being on a sitcom. He's, it's so pretentious. He's he's barely made it mm-hmm. to the stage, and now he's just making demands and deciding that he hates sitcoms. He He's too good for them. They're the lowest form of entertainment. Uh, he might be right. Tell that the- to the <laughs> cast of The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, who's the boss? <laughs> Well, back then, I guess, what else was going on besides Taxi? What what, what really... Late 70s, because I think Happy Days was 60s. I mean, he makes a, a Fonzie reference. Does he? Yeah. And he says, if I'm the Fonz, then... I don't know. And then he goes, hey. It's A. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know, because there was the 80s boom with, like, Growing Pains, Facts of Life, and then the early 90s, the peak of the sitcom with Step by Step, Family Matters, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> Uh, now we so, had... so basically, he didn't know what he was talking about. No, he, no, was, no, no. he, he was just being an ass. No, he he would have killed to be on Friends if this was oh, uh, a story who, that took place twenty years later. Who would he ever play? Is Chandler? Uh, probably Joey. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, or a very very uh, sociopathic incarnation of Ross. Which I mean, I'd be in for that. Yeah, I, for all my problems I have uh, with Andy Kaufman. I thought you were going to say with David Schwimmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a completely different podcast. Mm. That's the App Pupil podcast. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so part of his conditions of agreeing to taxi is that uh, this 
singer, this showman he knows, named Tony Clifton, gets four cameo appearances, which leads us to, uh, or leads George Shapiro, rather, to go see, seek out this Tony Clifton to see what the fuck it's all about. A big beer-bellied, obnoxious, every bad thing you could say about a washed-up lounge singer. And also, he looks like a cartoon. He oh, he does. He doesn't yeah. look like a real person. No. That he was, looks like a Muppet. Right. But everybody there is reacting like he's a real person. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I mean, I understand. We're watching the movie. We, we're aware that it's a movie. And we're aware that Jim Carrey is, is a versatile actor and kind of a chameleon in a way. So, I mean, I don't know if this is what happened to you. But as I was watching the movie the first time, I remember thinking, oh, that's just Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Right? And and I understand that maybe the people that are uh, at the bar that are not aware that this is a movie about Andy Kaufman, they had no idea that that's Andy Kaufman. But Shapiro, Danny DeVito, I mean, he is, he knows Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And yet it takes him a good while, if you go by his reaction shots, it takes him a good while to figure out that they're the same person. Yeah. A bit too long. Right. Yeah. It's like, how much had he drank before, <laughs> before Tony Clifton came on stage? Uh, and through this scene, we're introduced to Bob Zamuda, played by the incomparable Paul Giamatti, who is basically the accomplice of Andy Kaufman in all his comedic ventures. And from this point forward in the film, he's like by his side the entire movie. Yeah, he's he's also he's young and sexy. I, I was a little uncomfortable by <laughs> the the visual of mm-hmm. a young. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen. The early well, this was his this Jematic was his follow up to the faculty. That was his teen heartthrob film, and you know he moved on to a more serious film with his next role. It was his first Oscar grab. That's a, yeah, exactly. You know, all right, you did the faculty. Next logical step, Milos Forman. Let's step it up here. Well, he's like the movie. His career wasn't fast forward. <laughs> From this, he went straight to the Rhino in Amazing Spider-Man Two. <laughs> oh Jesus! Just to, with the Man on the Moon money, took fucking sixteen years off. <laughs> Said, I'll see you later. So the popularity of Taxi continues to grow. The character that Andy plays, Latka Gravis, is, you know, thank you very much, known for his catchphrases. And just that's basically he's getting shoehorned into the position, the one thing that Andy feared the most. I just realized Perfect Strangers is an 80s sitcom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this Latka character, he's just a couple degrees removed from Cousin Balky. (laughs) So what the hell? He's just ripping off. Well, somebody ripped off the other. Yeah, but... I think Taxi was late seventies. Oh well, you know I like uh, Cousin Balky better. And <laughs> <laughs> Perfect Strangers better as a sitcom. Yeah, because Kaufman's success was crammed into a very short window of time. I'm trying to remember when he passed away. I think it was eighty four. Yeah, I mean, there's a point in the movie where they mentioned that his his contract with Taxi is for five, five years, years, and then the movie is almost over, and Taxi's still going. I mean, he's still. Part of it. Man, yeah, he was only 35, died in 84. Through this, he was promised his own you know, network special. Uh, he's trying to implore his type of comedy on ABC, and they just don't get it. And he records a special, and one of his things is he wants the tracking to be all fucked up for people to think it's something wrong with their TV, to play a practical joke on the viewing audience. It's a lot of things that were ahead of its time, but the network was just not going for it and... Just they didn't get it. They didn't want it in the Andy Kaufman business. Yeah, uh, can't blame them really. Uh, no, because Kaufman is presented as this saying ahead of its time isn't always a good thing, right? Well, also if you're ahead of your time, you should at least be personable. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is that he is not a people person at all. Uh, 
he has this compulsion to fuck with everybody. I mean, poor Danny DeVito. He's the 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 real victim in this. The liaison. Yeah, he's not the one that gets cancer in this movie, but he really, I think he suffers the most. He, he has to put up with Andy Kaufman, and then once Jamati shows up, he has to put up with both of them. And mm. together, they're just insufferable. I mean, they're just, they're really, they're just trolls. Yeah. If the internet had existed back then, Andy Kaufman would have been the worst. Can you imagine his Facebook page? Oh, he'd be like a YouTube personality. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He, yeah. That's, uh, I, I, I got frustrated watching it because everybody he came into contact with, it was just, he just wanted to fuck with them. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand that the network executives would have been just ultimately repulsed by his kind of comedy. He, he wasn't really giving them an inch. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when he pretends to negotiate with them in this issue with the with the tracking, right? Because originally he wants it for a minute, and then he negotiates with the head of the studio, and they get it 10 seconds. And then he's like, well, that's all I wanted, really. Yeah. Then why are you making things so complicated, so <laughs> difficult? George Shapiro's answer to all this is, hey, we'll, we'll put you on a tour. You know, we'll keep your name out there. Uh, kids love Latka. They'll want to see you. So... He starts a college tour, which we only get to see one show of, where he just goes and you expect it to be like a performance or a variety hour or something like that. And um, he goes out and tries to do you know the material he wants to, and the crowd keeps calling for Latka, and they want to hear thank you very much. And so he just kind of hate bones the hell out of them and just reads The Great Gatsby from cover to cover, and it's excellent. Watching this, it reminded me, or uh, refreshed me, rather, of... The how, Great Gatsby? How much of a pro wrestler Andy Kaufman was. Uh, things like that, you know, giving the crowd the exact opposite of what they wanted. Like, he was a worker's worker, man. There was a a wrestler named Chris Jericho. Um, well, he's still alive, so. There's a personality named Chris Jericho. He had a feud with a guy named Dean Malenko, who Dean Malenko's nickname was the man of a thousand and one holds. And, or a thousand and one moves or something. Anyway, Jericho, this is years and years ago. So Jericho was the bad guy at the time, and he said, I'm the man of a thousand and four holds. And he's like, and I'm here to name them all. And he had this giant scroll that like rolled out underneath him on the ring. And he starts reading his moves, and they go to commercial, and they come back from commercial, and he's like, move 748. And that kind of reminded me of this, the way they were intermittently cutting back and forth with it. That sounds like an Andy Coffin bit, except yeah. one that's actually funny. <laughs> well, and I've heard of, uh, you know, Chappelle kind of did some of that with his recent, like before his Netflix specials. The the Black Kaufman. Yeah. <laughs> Blandy Kaufman. And uh, where he went out and he wouldn't speak. And you say Blandy Kaufman. I did. <laughs> we'll probably cut that out. <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> One of my favorite Kaufman-esque things I've heard of in recent memory was Will Ferrell was doing a similar college tour. And... Uh, <laughs> Like, before he came out, Lose Yourself by Eminem started playing, and about 30 seconds into it, he wheeled himself out on an electric wheelchair and just went to the front of the stage and just stared at the audience while the song just blared and the entire Lose Yourself played, which that just sounds incredible to me. But anyway, getting away from the... Well, I'll just... I'll just venturing from the beaten path. I'll, I'll make a point, because just to bring us back to, to the Man on the Moon journey, the reason that that works with Will Ferrell, why it's funny, is because Will Ferrell has a body of work that does not is not made up of him fucking with the audience all Hate the time. Hate boning the crowd. Exactly. Yeah. By now, Will Ferrell can do whatever he wants because he did Anchorman, he did Talladega Nights, he did... 
Old school. Old school. Step Brothers. More recently, he did Stranger Than Fiction. The House. <laughs> oh. Get Hard. Oh. Prove that he can do whatever I he wants. That is. Pump the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? You don't come out there and uh, you understand that he's kidding. Mm -hmm. Whereas like when Kaufman comes out here and he reads The Great Gatsby and whatever, it's not funny because you, you really feel the aggression. The, the, the contempt he has for exactly, his audience. Yeah. Yes. So we get a scene of Bob taking Andy to um, a whorehouse, essentially, and he... To relieve tension, yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. And he... Uh, Steps up to the plate and picks out the ladies of the night that he'd like. And in a telling scene, and there's not more of these in this, which I thought like the movie could have really used. More the, sex scene? Dude, no. I completely disagree. <laughs> I do not need to see Jim carrying anything sexual ever again. No. Uh, whereas this scene proves that no one, not even his best friend Bob, knows him. Because he says, this is my friend's first time at a prostitute. He's like, Andy comes in here every week. What are you talking about? So at first I thought this was just a really unnecessary scene to show two women naked, but it actually sets up. He pays them to come out to Hollywood uh, because it's time for um, Tony Clifton's appearance on Taxi. Yes, it's it's time for uh, for Christopher Lloyd to to mug the camera for five seconds. He really does. Hard. He gives a Jim Halpert to the camera so hard, and we get Jeff Conaway's one line in the movie of "Hey, can we get back to work?" Which is probably the only time he said that. <laughs> I did not Unless know. work meant drinking. <laughs> I did not know that he was Kaniki. I'm glad you pointed it out because... Dude, he like... That made me really sad because, again, <laughs> 20 years is a long time. And this movie... Okay, so this movie's technically like 18 and a half years old. That's a long time. But it's not a long enough time for him to have aged as much as he has since then. Like you said, they made no effort to look at the people that were supposed to be 25 years ago any younger. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess you could argue he's the one that looks the most beaten down out of, like, Marilu Henner. You see, Marilu Henner, who looks just like an older version of Marilu Henner, but she still looks mm -hmm. put together. Uh, that sounds so horrible. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, just because, in contrast, mm -hmm. uh, Kaniki looks just old. Christopher Lloyd was born old, so I'm not... Right, yeah. Christopher Lloyd just looks like... like Christopher like, Lloyd. Like Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. And then... Uh, the dad from uh, Independence Day. Well, mm -hmm. you know, like Christopher uh, Jeff Goldblum's dad from Independence oh, Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's there, and he kind of looks like... I don't remember his name in Independence Day, but it's something overtly Jewish. Right. Uh, Marty Goldstein or something. Goldbluminski. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he... Uh, well, he's there. I guess he looks kind of like he would look in Independence Day, because mm -hmm. that's around that time, right? Independence Day is 96, maybe? So... Independence Day... 95, yeah. 96. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he, he kind of... It, it's not a shocker to see him, I guess, because he we've seen him recently in mm -hmm. that super popular alien invasion movie with Will Smith. <laughs> but you haven't seen Kaniki probably since... Since Greece. Since Greece. <laughs> Maybe you were a taxi fan and yeah. you've seen him then. But still, it's been a while since Taxi. So when you get a shot of him, he is... Yeah, he definitely looks like the one that's had it the worst in the intervening years. Mm-hmm. And then he gets one line. He does. He <laughs> says, let's get back to work. Uh, so this is exactly what you'd expect it to be at this point in the film in terms of a train wreck of Tony Clifton on the show. Just causing chaos, yelling, screaming, saying the script's not going to work for him. Um, this 
uh, I have in my notes here the Tony Clifton show because I thought they spent way too big of a chunk of the movie on like the Tony Clifton character. I understand it was an important part of uh, Kaufman's act, and not just him. It was this character he made up that multiple people played and took over. But right. again, I would have rather had this devoted to more stuff from his childhood or his early act and you know, you know what I'm trying to say yeah there is uh, I mean the mystery of Tony Clifton in a way I would imagine it's never been solved in real life mm-hmm. and the movie doesn't attempt to solve it either so we know for a fact according to the movie at least we know for a fact that Tony Clifton was played by Andy Kaufman but then whenever he wanted to add like an extra mindfuck with the audience he would get, according to the movie, he would get Paul Giamatti to play. Yes, uh, <laughs> he had actual Paul Giamatti play him. <laughs> Bob. Bob Zamuda. In between this movie and the Rhino, he, he would also moonlight <laughs> as Tony Clifton. And Real Rhino. quick, I had to look it up, and Judd Hirsch's name in Independence Day is Julius Levinson. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, it could have been worse. It, it's true. There was also, uh, I knew Marty was a character in that. Harvey Firestein was Marty Gilbert. So, it, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, Tony Clifton is basically up until the very end of the movie. We don't know what the hell's going on with Tony Clifton. We just know that he plays him sometimes. Sometimes Jamati uh, Zamuda plays him, and, uh, and and yeah, psychologically they give you this thing. It might be the deepest the movie gets into mm-hmm. psychology. Is oh, Tony Clifton is his his the way he vents. Yeah, because Andy himself is so nice and so childlike but then he he puts on the tony clifton costume and he can be a complete asshole mm-hmm. not even the passive aggressive andy coffin way but just like full-on uh hurting people yeah so uh i understand uh why it was important and i can see maybe even middle storm rationalizing it as we need somebody that's even more hateable than Andy Kaufman because we're halfway through the movie and this guy is unbearable. We need a bad guy. Right. So then, uh, but the thing is, we know that he is Andy Kaufman. So mm-hmm. when we see Tony Clifton be an asshole, we know it's Andy Kaufman being an asshole. Yeah. It doesn't change anything. No. And naturally, due to his his love of kayfabe in his own genre, uh, Andy, and like by all accounts of him legitimately this time, just was fascinated by pro wrestling at that point in time, which was a much more protected business and entertainment industry than it is now. Uh, he wanted to enter into that. He wanted to take the persona of a heel, a bad guy. He had this idea for an intergender wrestling character, which uh, due to societal norms now, you couldn't get away with in the way he did then. But... Uh, Really worked for him, at least for the short term. It didn't work long term. I mean, if what if your goal is to piss people off, then it worked yeah. wonderfully. That's what a heel wrestler does. <laughs> this is how we enter court. Oh, whoa! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> reading my notes here. Uh, this is how we're introduced to Lynn Courtney Love in this film. Who obviously there exists, like we talked about, existing relationship with Foreman due to uh, People versus Larry Flint. Her Academy Award nominated performance in the People vs. Larry Flint, and then I guess she's like his his hidden weapon here because mm-hmm. we're at least an hour into the movie before she shows up. Yeah, and she really does nothing for this entire movie, but she shows up just to be wasted. She shows up to be Courtney Love, just to say Courtney Love was in this movie also. Uh, Two hundred cigarettes is uh, Courtney Love. That's right, returning to the podcast. 
She challenges Andy Kaufman. She is beaten, but Andy has a very quick and sudden affinity for her that is not explained one iota why he f- falls in love with her. I, I completely understand him falling in love with her in the sense that we never understand why he does anything. So, mm-hmm. well, he just decided that he liked this girl. Yeah. I do not understand why she would be no. attracted to him at all. He hum- humiliates, her, uh, humiliates her in national television, uh, and then... On their first date, he he pays with crumpled up bills. Then he orders popcorn, and was the implication that they didn't even watch the movie? I don't know. He walks out of the with theater a full with a full popcorn. bucket of popcorn. And you know, back in eighty three, eighty two, you the, don't get free refills. We don't have the free. Re- we don't have the dollar <laughs> refill policy. Yeah, no, that's not what happened. So, but she seems fascinated by him. And mm-hmm. then, literally, they even if you assume that they watched the movie, they the next thing he does is basically propose to her. Mm-hmm. He says, "Would you marry me?" And she says, "Yes, basically." Yeah, uh, it's it's insane. And it, this is what really bothers me. Actually, is that at first she was outraged when she when he tries to talk to her after the show when they wrestled. Mm-hmm. She's mad and she tells him that he's an asshole and she walks away. And I said, "Okay, Colonel Love, you were in this movie for five minutes, but at least you were here to to just give us some perspective because nobody else is telling him this." Yeah. But then next time you see her, she's happy to be on a date with him. And then she agrees to marry him. And But that's just him using her to further his storyline that he set up with Jerry the King Lawler in Memphis, Tech, or Memphis and Tennessee. And even then, she will not leave him after that. No, no. She she knows she was used as a pawn. She's like, just don't do that again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I actually wrote that, that. I wrote that line uh, on my notes. She says, don't ever treat me like that again. What? <laughs> you don't even say that. You just walk away. Uh, but for me, the reason we chose this for WrestleMania bonus episode and, uh, you know, in my group of friends, uh, the pro wrestling world, what Andy Kaufman is most well known for. I'm rubbing my hands. Yeah. I don't think you can hear it, but I'm rubbing my hands. What he's most well known for is his feud with Jerry the King Lawler uh, and him just in general demeaning the people of Memphis, as he would say, which... Uh, they they did a pretty damn good piece of business together, um, but at this point, it's played as though they're really gonna, you know, everyone's really afraid for Andy Kaufman's safety. Which... This is this is back when, I guess, it wasn't common knowledge that a lot of this stuff was staged. No, so uh... yeah, really, we'll get into this some more in real talk. But this was like, in many ways, this angle was one of the last big wrestling angles that the mainstream public thought like was wrestling was still real. This was the uh the Orson Welles War of the Worlds of, of wrestling. <laughs> Pretty much. And then Hulk Hogan came along and it was like, oh, this is make believe. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But anyway, uh before we can get to the match proper, uh there was a television show on ABC called Fridays, which was there I'd heard about it briefly. Um didn't succeed, but it was their attempt to counter Saturday Night Live. Uh, similar sketch comedy type show. Uh, the unsung hero of this film is Norm MacDonald playing Michael Richards in a Kramer wig. <laughs> this was a rib of some sort because it would have been a lot easier just to get actual Michael Richards. In 98, 99, he wasn't doing too much. Well, was that before or after his meltdown? Uh, that, oh, like, it was banned him from five or six years before. Oh, then I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> And, all, it's been, and like, answers, well, but that and then also 
you have Norm Macdonald, you don't really use him for anything. Okay, uh, you have Christopher Lloyd, and you just waste him on a couple of uh, Jim Halpert looks at the camera. Touche. Uh, I mean, you, the cameos, in a way, the cameos Could are just the call best. this movie Man on the Wasted Time. <laughs> yes. This is, uh, I don't know, the player, but the Eddie Coffin version, <laughs> where you just have a bunch of celebrities. The cameo- player, but it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, don't have character actor Fred Ward in this, though. Oh, no. Well, you know, there's a lot that we don't have in this movie. <laughs> uh, but we do have Norm MacDonald, and I am 99% sure that the actress sitting next to him is uh, Chloe from 24, which you don't see her very often outside of 24. <laughs> so that's golden opportunity also wasted. And then one of the ants from Sabrina Teenage Witch. I yes. Think. Yeah. Was she, okay, good. I got that one then. I kept wanting to say Martha Plimpton, but I know that's not her. <laughs> no. Yeah. I know that it would be nice to have another 200 cigarettes. That's not to say all me. blonde white women look the same or anything. Uh, what, was might, it Courtney Love? <laughs> they might to Andy Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, we get to the actual match with Jerry Lawler, and Andy brings his, wi- his wife. I don't know if they're married at this point, but. I don't think so. His cause... SO, his parents, you know, his family's in attendance. And again, they don't really know what pro wrestling is, and um, it's a beautiful thing. This is also the first time we've seen the parents since the beginning of the movie. Well, He's... they watched him on Fridays, and like I right, said, right, right. they I could confirm when it was those actors. They were at his Saturday Night Live. They show, were okay. But they just didn't laugh at I, it. I kind of felt like we needed more reactions from them. Mm-hmm. These are, for all intents and purposes, normal people, and uh, I uh, their son is behaving outrageously on television Mm -hmm. and we don't really see much coming from them (sighs) i mean when you see the way they react to their to his to his behavior on friday it's almost like they're seeing him do that for the first time yeah have you not been following the career of your son he kind of got famous really quickly you should probably pay attention (laughs) to what he's doing yeah uh, the match with Lawler is what it is, and that was uh, an amazing piece of theater that a lot of people bought. And uh, this kind of rushes it. I also really, really disliked them using Rocky music for this scene. I thought that was really when lame. did they use it? Uh... When Lawler comes out, and then also right before he pile drives them, they play like the the closing theme. So um, what what music was really playing? Because none. Oh. It was just Okay. So it's like, what, <laughs> well, I was thinking of like, what song or what music would be more expensive to use than the rocket music, which I'm sure they had to pay for. Yeah, I don't know what Lawler would have come out to back in those days, but yeah, music doesn't play during actual matches. I don't know. Okay. Talk to me like I go to WrestleMania. You've watched two or three SummerSlams here. Okay, but that's not WrestleMania. I don't know what WrestleMania okay. is like. Well, I've this wasn't WrestleMania with... either. It was just a show. and This wasn't even a WWE show. Okay, I've never been to Memphis to watch a show <laughs> that happened 20 years ago at least. 30, uh, 40, I don't know. Touche. Fair enough. Uh, but you should watch it sometime on YouTube because th- this really rushes it. Like, when he got pile driven, I think he gives him two pile drivers, which, again, was illegal in the state of Tennessee at the time. And... Uh, He's in the ring for like ten minutes before the stretcher can get to the ring, like because the crowd is so much bigger and like ravenous. And um, but they do their due diligence here of having Lawler, the ring announcers, Lance Russell and Jerry uh, Jim Ross is on commentary. Um, you know, kind of interchangeable parts to the whole approach. And yeah, random ass Gene LaBelle cameo. Like I said, I was like, holy shit, Gene LaBelle's in this, and Hulu's like. Is that a woman? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you said Gina Bell. Oh, okay. And so when he, when Lawler pulls out some some 
female fighter to fight him. I was like, oh, is that Gina Bell? <laughs> and he just looked at me like I was a complete idiot. <laughs> uh, more famous in the match itself was the following Letterman appearance. They were on David Letterman's show. One of the finer pieces of television ever in that they both play it completely straight laced, but convince people that it's, you know, 100% shoot. And yeah, Lawler, uh, I read an interview with him where he said he hit, Jim Carrey is hard, if not harder, than he actually hit Andy Kaufman on. I don't blame him. He's so fucking annoying. I would have punched him, too. Yeah. No, but, yeah, on that Letterman appearance, man, he fucking molly him with a slap across the face. Uh, and the true MVP of this movie, David Letterman, for refusing to, um, what was it, uh, wardrobe, wig, or any facial prosthetics to make him look like he did back in the early 80s. And thus, he looks better than the cast of Taxi. Yeah. He just looks dignified. <laughs> it's such a fucking Letterman thing, though, and I absolutely love it. And it's like, it, what a weird battle for the studio, too. It's like, all right, well, we'll just get someone else to play you. But but no. That could have been Norm MacDonald. That could have been Danny DeVito. <laughs> Through all this, people and the general public start to distance themselves from Andy Kaufman because they can't decipher what's real and what's not. And people don't find him funny anymore. Well, I mean, honestly, because by now in the movie, we've had that montage where he's just beating women mm-hmm. in the ring. And yes, it's sort of, it's supposed to be a wrestling match. It's still really unpleasant to watch. Oh, yeah, yeah, And uh, we, the audience of the movie, have seen it in a very condensed, I don't know, two minutes. Well, especially back then when it was perceived to be completely real. Right. Yeah. The, audience in the, in, the audience in the movie, they've seen this. Completely like the full version, the uh-huh. director's cut. So, yeah, no wonder that they're just completely appalled. Mm-hmm. And still, Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman has the balls to be surprised and disappointed in the audience. Yeah. When they just don't get him anymore. And he gets fired from, uh, is it from Saturday Night Live? Uh, yeah, he gets, well, he's not fired because he was just like a special guest, but the viewing public votes him off the show. Right. Yeah. They put a, they put a, they put his fate. In the, to, in the hands of democracy. Which we learned this past presidential election is just not a good idea. It was all gerrymandering. If, uh, <laughs> if you just drawn those district lines around SNL a little tighter, maybe Coffin wouldn't have been voted off. I did love, too, uh, the approach of making yourselves look younger. Lawler, all he did was just grow his facial hair out like he had it when he was in the early 80s, late 70s. The tights that he wears in the match, same tights that he wore... I mean, that's a possibility also. <laughs> a, bit, a bit tighter than they were back in those days. Uh, to compound the news, the bad news, taxis canceled. And then the uh, hat trick of bad news is that Andy has cancer. Allegedly. Well, no one believes him. I was going to say that's the that's the caveat. The It's literally the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. And I think that maybe this is the something that could have redeemed the movie if they've driven this point home a little harder. Mm-hmm. If you spend an hour and a half of movie fucking with people, when you get cancer, they're not going to believe you. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not really what happens. Instead, the movie uses this as an opportunity to turn into this cheesy, really positive – I don't know. What would you call his last act? Because it all builds up to him just doing one last show. It's very tonally inconsistent with the rest of the movie. Because, yeah, it's just like, okay, well, now I'll do a Christmas show. Right. It was like he is – an asshole for his entire life, and then suddenly, not only 
does he make the change into being a feel-good comedian right away? He does it successfully. That's mm -hmm. the thing. You would think that there would be a little bit of trouble transitioning into something that's so different from everything he's done his entire life. But instead, it's just it's a big party. He yeah. gives him milk and cookies at the end of the of the show. It's just so especially because the movie ends with him again allegedly dying. Yeah. So I would think they would drive the point home a little harder, but no, instead they softened it. Yeah. His family doesn't believe him at first and yeah, it's just basically all the things you said and then it leads towards him wanting to do a big Christmas show. Um that's kind of rushed and really nonsensical. I can't. I don't know if they were just showing us the the cliff notes or whatnot, but I couldn't make sense of what the show actually was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, he just continues to get sicker, and before you know it, he's a withered, powerless, you know, very frail, sick man. And then he goes to the Philippines because he thinks they're going to cure him over there. Yeah, it's a dark, bleak, depressing as third act. Yeah, and that, again, it's it doesn't feel like comeuppance. It's though. like that's ten minutes though. <laughs> yeah, but that's my problem, right? I I really I resent the manipulation of making me the movie trying to make me care and feel bad mm -hmm. when really, well, what did you expect, Andy? You fucked with people for so long. Yeah, and the real details around his final days on this earth are still pretty concealed like there's not too many firsthand accounts of what it was like towards the end of his life but um according to the movie <laughs> it happened quick <laughs> it happened quick and he went to the philippines uh and this is like massive dig to the philippines tourism department i yeah. guess it i don't know what they're doing to him I, I might do some more research to find out just so i don't sound uncultured it's, but i i didn't get it i didn't get it the first time i watched the movie so allow me to like indulge, <laughs> illuminate you. Uh, so he goes to this sort of witch doctor, right? And there's like a long line, and he's there in his wheelchair, and Courtney Love is pushing the the chair. And so you see one person in front of him go in, and then I'm assuming all these people are sick. And then the person, the the doctor and his assistants, you know, well the doctor is washing his hands, and, the, and then he puts his hands on the sick person's stomach. And then he pulls out some gnarly shit. Yeah. And then he wipes the stomach of the, this person's stomach. And then he wipes the stomach clear of the blood and there's no wound. Yeah. So it's like, oh, my God, magic. And then, then it's Andy's turn and he gets on the table and he notices that when the guy's washing his hands, he already has that thing that he's going to pull out of his stomach. He already oh. has it in his hand. So it's all a trick. And, that, and then he starts laughing, which is... I guess the closest the movie comes to saying, well, you know, you like to troll people. Now people are trolling you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He goes to the Philippines looking for a miracle. Because he's really the, into holistic medicine. Right. That's you know. another weird element of the movie is that every now and then you'll get this jarring sequence of him meditating with a bunch or of people. Covered in stones of healing power or something yeah. like that. Uh, but yeah. So the joke, I guess, is that. The whole thing is it's a sham, and uh, never go to the Philippines. <laughs> this movie was sued by the Philippines Tourist Attraction Board. They do not deserve our business. <laughs> uh, and from that, he laughs and then passes, and uh, we see him in his coffin and his very heavily attended funeral, a lot of people in shock. And then the movie ends with him doing kind of a voiceover of 
we need to treat each other like brothers and sisters and love one another, which I'm not going to shit on that. It's a positive message. I kind of wish his life supported it more. Yeah. He spent his entire Instead life of just tricking your brother and sister. <laughs> right. Instigating conflict. Trying to fuck with people's heads. Beating women on the ring. <laughs> and yeah, then it just kind of ends. That that third act was nothing if not rushed. Well, but then we get the one year later. Oh, that's right. The triumphant return of Tony Clifton. Yes. Which, of course, you know, if you're watching the movie for the first time, you're like, okay, well, big whoop, that's... Paul Giamatti playing Tony Clifton like he used to. Mm-hmm. But then... The one last wink and nod to the the audience. The last person we see is Paul Giamatti in the back of the club watching it. Right. And so the implication is that what? That that really he did fake his own death and he was and playing the, the club? It's we don't know. If I was Andy Kaufman <laughs> <laughs> and I was watching this from... Uh, you know, from the the Netherlands, uh, the Netherworld, rather. You know, I actually died, and I'm watching this movie that they made about me. I would be so mad by people deciding that, oh, no, he faked his death, and he just never told us. That mm-hmm. would be infuriating. Well, you know, that <laughs> his was His family has to feel... Prevalent rumor before this movie. Right, but yeah. then this movie had the, the opportunity of setting things straight, and instead oh, it just... Okay. It just Further encouraged, yeah. Added it just, fuel, yeah. Added fuel to the fire. That's pretty responsible from a, a filmmaker like Milos Forman, who should know better by now. But then REM takes us out, so not all is lost. <laughs> just let me ease you out of this really confusing final scene. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that like, your your Andy Kaufman's family, uh, his whatever the equivalent of Corny Love is in real life. Lynn. You finally made peace with the fact that this really strange man has left the building. And then here comes this movie <laughs> to just fuck with your head again and say, <laughs> well, maybe not. Yeah. It's, it, again, irresponsible filmmaking. Yeah. And rushed. <laughs> yeah. I would say uh, filmmaking doesn't kill people. Filmmakers kill people. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Mr. Foreman, you're in detention. <laughs> you have anything else for this? No. I, I say we go to Real Talk. Let's do. I apologize for all the wrestling I've ever done, and I'm sorry for all the grief I've ever given. I was just playing bad guy wrestler, you know? And and it's just a role. It's not me. So I guess Jerry just um, took it personally. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you, you said some pretty inflammatory things, obviously. Right, I mean, everything's a joke to this guy. Just like just like that thing. I mean, I don't know if that's a neck brace or a flea collar. That's not true. This, this is very serious. This is very serious. I went to the hospital. I was in the hospital for three days in traction. And I'll tell you something else. My father said I could have sued you. I could have hired a lawyer and sued you for everything that you've got. But I didn't because um, I'm not that kind of guy. What kind of guy are you? <laughs> I think, I think maybe I'll get a lawyer. Listen, if you were a man, if you were a man, you'd apologize to me right now. But you're just poor white trash. And so I guess, you know, that's too lofty a concept, you know, for you. I mean, you know, what are you going to do?
everything? Are you okay? Huh? I'm sick of this shit, Lawler. I'm gonna sue you. I'm gonna sue you for everything you've got. I swear to God. Fuck you! Okay? Okay, Lawler? Fuck you! I'm sorry, Dan. Okay? I know I'm not supposed to say those things on television. I can't say those words. And I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you, you are a fing. I, uh, I, I, I think you can use some of those words on, on television, but what you can't do is throw coffee. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, real talk for Man on the Moon. I say I'm ready, and then just huge yawn. Um, Classic Andy. <laughs> Uh, Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey, directed by Milos Forman, uh, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. I do apologize if I'm It doesn't matter, because he was Andy Kaufman, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christmas movie, released December 22nd, 1999. Uh, It was a Universal Pictures film, and the budget was somewhere between $52 and $82 million. Uh, Whatever the case... Those thirty million went to Tony Clifton. <laughs> Whatever the case, it did not make up any of that, and that it was a box office return of forty-seven million, and it was the only Jim Carrey movie of the nineties that that tanked pretty much. Uh, he was nominated, or I believe he won the Golden Globe for it. I should probably double check on that, but um, Incorrectly, for some reason, I thought he was nominated for an Oscar for this. Me too. If you had asked me, I would have thought that this what was... What has he been nominated for? I don't think he's been nominated for an Oscar then, because I know he didn't get it for Truman Show. The only one that I think would be worthy of that would be Truman Show. And, God, he was so good in that movie. Um, But, yeah, I can kind of... My first viewing of it, I can kind of see... I don't necessarily see why it tanked, because Jim Carrey's really good, but it's just a very average movie. Well, I, I think it's actually more complicated than that, but I it definitely has that aggressive, antagonistic personality mm-hmm. <laughs> that Kaufman himself seemed to have. And I don't know, that doesn't scream Christmas movie to me, so no. I could totally see why people would just stay away from it. Uh, it probably would have had a better shot if it came out in January or February. Yeah, I think that they mistakenly bah, i think they mistakenly thought award season movie but that doesn't mean christmas movie so they should yeah. have done maybe a november release that's true like uh, we fucking know what makes a movie that well, make money we know what doesn't yeah help. we know and we also know uh patterns and having worked in the industry like we have we know like when they're released and whatnot uh, and yes, he did win a Golden Globe for it. And uh, just pulling up some. Uh, now, there's been all the stories of he was dead set in character, wouldn't answer to Jim, had to be, you know, apparently he was very difficult to work with throughout this, which I don't know. You got to take that with a grain of salt. It could be either, yeah, he really just was, or it could be his own personal little tribute to Andy Kaufman. Right. You never know. Yeah. See. Apparently, the real Bob Zamuda is in the movie. Oh, really? I I saw him in the credits, but I I couldn't tell you who he was. Should have been uh, the last incarnation of um, Tony Clifton. Yeah, Gary Oldman had passed on the role for the film. I was gonna get a list of all the people that auditioned for it. I mean, he would have gotten his Oscar much sooner if he had played. Oh, absolutely. 
John Cusack, Kevin Spacey, and Hank Azaria all auditioned for Andy Kaufman, and Nicolas Cage and Tom Hanks were considered for the lead role, but Cage refused to audition and passed the project off. Uh, it says here Ben Stiller was in it during the Great Gatsby scene, but I did not see Ben Stiller. See the guy that collapsed at the end? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so, yeah, Jim Carrey's fantastic. I think Paul Giamatti has a, um unsung performance. I thought, I mean, it's Paul Giamatti. He would go on to do things that were universes beyond this, but I think... Again, he's one of those guys. I don't know if he's ever been bad in anything. I think uh, DeVito is the one that that really the MVP. Of, uh, other than yeah, of course, Carrie is amazing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. I, I actually, if you believe, it's hard to. That's the thing. Is he was he really like that? Was Andy Kaufman really like that? Because if he wasn't, if he was kind of like that and carries just like a couple beats off mm-hmm. then it's really annoying you know what i mean the only reason i would give this performance a pass is if you tell me oh yeah that's exactly how he was that's why he's doing it that way which there's conflicting reports about it there's a lot of people that knew andy kaufman that saw it and said it was a very dramatized hollywood version of the movie and all that but to be fair with that also the fucking movie starts with the killing joke thing of <laughs> Andy saying this is the story the way I want it to be seen. Right. But then I think that the way that Carrie plays the character, all those mannerisms, uh, it just it wears you down. Mm-hmm. And especially on first watch. Now that I've seen it, I think this is my third time. I can just – I know what's coming and I can just roll with it. But still, there's some choices there that are just so broad that I can only take them if I tell myself – well, that's how he was. That's how Andy Kaufman was. So that's why he would do it that way. Yeah. But it's just I understand that the movie is not interested in really giving you a window into this guy's soul. Mm-hmm. But it's a performance that seems designed to keep you at arm's length. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just he never feels like a real person. He never feels genuine. That's what is so weird about the movie to me, which like – it's two hours. The story's really crammed in, but the way the character's portrayed, like you said, I can't get into it from any angle. Right. Like, I feel like... You you never know what's real. You yeah. never know. It, it's like like the audience there. You never know when he's fucking with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we, we get into more of this, because I actually like the movie. Oh, okay. Uh, let me give you Oh, I apologize. Yeah, we got to see who... The, we, we got carried away. The, hey, the Classic group. Andy. <laughs> Sets you up for the for the quotes and then never plays, gives them. The plays Mighty Mouse. <laughs> um, okay, so some people who didn't like it on Rotten Tomatoes, Candace Murphy from San Jose Mercury News. She says, "Go get your wallet right now. I'll wait. Got it? Okay. Open it up. Take out eight dollars. Now go to the nearest toilet. Drop the cash into the bowl. Flush. Congratulations. You have just simulated attending Man on the Moon. Jeez." That's excessive. That's very excessive. Come on, Candace. Give it give it some props for something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The acting. Photography. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hunter from the Washington Post says, This is less a story than a series of exhibits. Michael DeQuina from TheMovieReport.com says, Man on the Moon is one of those films where you walk out of the auditorium completely flummoxed as to why you feel so empty. Um, I wasn't flummoxed, but I did feel empty. <laughs> nobody, nobody is ever flummoxed <laughs> anymore. Michael, update your uh, thesaurus. Uh, Alex Sandell from Juicy Cerebellum 
says, Kaufman died a mystery, one I was hoping would be at least partially unraveled by Man on the Moon. It's not a documentary, Alex. Hmm. Uh, Jeff Miller from Houston Chronicle says, The problem with this film is that filmmakers want Kaufman to emerge as a kind of innocent, while their biographical due diligence indicates that, Hoff that Kaufman was a head case. Ouch. And finally, Randall King from the Winnipeg Sun says, Foreman ends it all with a hint that Kaufman may still be with us, a narrative cop-out akin to the It Was All a Dream denouement. If he is alive, Andy Kaufman may be the only one in the theater laughing. Yeah, I didn't care for that hinting that I it frustrated me the first time I saw it. I I here's why I like the movie, and it's because of something that I don't know if these quotes, one of these quotes said it or one of the other ones. I always said the positive notes in the positive quotes in the first half in Contrarian's Corner. Mm -hmm. The guy that says this movie did the only thing they could have done, which is bring back Andy Kaufman for two hours. Mm -hmm. If you look at it that way, as in this movie as an extension of Andy Kaufman's, Kaufman's act, then I think that's pretty brilliant mm -hmm. because the movie does exactly what his act would have been. Yeah. It doesn't give you any answers. It fucks with you from beginning to end. It, it makes you laugh. I laugh so, a lot. With most uh, aspects of it, it moves on before you have any time to process what's right, going right. on. Right, right. And then it ends exactly the way he would have, where he's just like, but did I die? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, on that sense, I can completely appreciate it. And this is as somebody who, the first time I saw it, I didn't. I knew even less, like we said, I knew even less than you about Andy Kaufman. And mm -hmm. the movie ended, and I started reading up on him and watched some videos. And, uh, and then... It kind of clicked a little better. Wow, this guy, that was just, that was his thing. His thing was to mess with the audience. Yeah. So, yes, this biopic, it leaves you wanting a lot more in the sense of what a traditional biopic would have given you, which is answers yeah. and at least some sort of a story that, that just comes to a conclusion that leaves you not empty. <laughs> yeah. You know, it leaves you with some understanding of the person that, that the movie was about. And this is the complete opposite. Uh, so I I understand why it's frustrating. It, it frustrates me. It, it's frustrated me less, I think, every time I've seen it. But the first time, I just really didn't know what to make of it. It was... Courtney Love could have been played by anybody. That's the only part of the movie that I'm just like, eh. I think she's good, but I agree. She's wasted. There's nothing there. Yeah, and it's not to harp on her. It's just there's nothing to that role. There is one moment where I really liked her, and that was – well, there's two moments. One is when um, he's having the match with uh, with Lawler. Was it the match with Lawler? No, no. It's, it was when, when he's supposed to have the match with her. Yeah. And, and then Lawler comes up and exposes that as a fraud, and then, you know, this whole thing happens. But the entire time, she's – on the crowd, not knowing that this is another bit. Mm -hmm. And she looks really worried. Yeah. And I actually like this throughout the movie. This movie has great extras. I think every time they cut to a reaction shot of from people, I think they nail it, whether they should be annoyed or confused or yeah. actually having a great time. Every time they cut to the extras, in this case, when they cut to Corny Love, the sense of confusion and fear and just embarrassment because she was part of something that didn't pan out it just i think she gets it right uh, uh, and then she disappears from the movie again you know for a while one of my favorite things i read was the extras in the wrestling coliseum at the memphis memphis coliseum air quotes memphis coliseum is bigger um 
when Lawler showed up to film the scene, they held all the extras wearing overalls and straw hats. <laughs> and he was like, it's not fucking what all wrestling fans look like. So it made me kind of want to wear straw hat and overalls to WrestleMania. Please. Uh, yeah. Send pictures. No, but again, that's where I knew him mostly from um, in the wrestling community. Obviously, he played a big part. There's a couple of video games you can play as Andy Kaufman in as like one of the bonus characters. What? Like, yeah, like he's one of the unlockable legends. And... Is he dressed as Latka? No, he's wearing a he. They don't show it in the movie, but he had like his wrestling attire was like what Jim Carrey wore. These um, he wore like leggings with black tights over it, and then he had like this yellow T-shirt made that said "World Intergender Wrestling Champion." Um, and yeah, the angle with Lawler was incredible. I wish there was a time in my life where people thought wrestling was completely real. Um, it was just like I was saying earlier, it was just a few years after that 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 bubble kind of burst, but. Uh, he apparently went to Vince McMahon Sr. before Vince McMahon, who owns it now, his dad. He went to him. He's like, hey, I have this idea for this act, and you know, we can do something with it. He's like, no, I have no interest in bringing show business into the wrestling business, and which is hilarious considering <laughs> as soon as he sold the company to his son what, what it became. Um, You're thinking of Mr. McMahon. That's my father. <laughs> Call me Vince. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I thought it played that all really well. Um, in a weird way, I feel... I don't know. That thing of leaving this kind of empty of... From a storytelling standpoint, I want to know more about him. Right. So the fact that, like, a big chunk, like maybe a fifth of the movie was devoted just to the wrestling stuff, I kind of wanted that to be dissipated so I could get more information about him elsewhere, but... Um. Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. If that was the intention of the movie, just to bring Andy Kaufman back. I mean, I you, it has to be. If you're gonna if you're gonna give Milos Forman a, some credit as an accomplished filmmaker, it has to be that. Why else would you make those choices? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or do you just really leave everything kind of up in the air? Uh, there is a. I remember this from way back when I was after watching the movie and reading a little bit about it that they fudge with the timeline a little bit because I think his big Carnegie Hall show doesn't happen in real life. It didn't happen at the time it happened in the movie, mm -hmm. but I couldn't tell you exactly when. <laughs> yeah. It's just that they time it so that it's the big climax. Yeah. Of oh well, he got to be in Carnegie Hall at the end of the movie yeah. and blah blah blah. Yeah, I know. Sure, that yeah, that, that also historically inaccurate. Yeah, but. Like I said in Contrarian's Corner, you have the card to play of this is an Andy Kaufman biopic, so anything goes because Andy Kaufman, you never knew what to expect. And yeah. so I think that that's it's played brilliantly, but also frustratingly. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that every choice works. I don't think now that we're not kidding, I, I, I think that. It's just the the whole thing with the taxi cast coming back to reprise the roles. It just it's just weird. Yeah. I don't think it adds much other no. than just throwing you off. Because yeah, which might Jim be Jim exactly Carrey wasn't on the show. Like, <laughs> there's no harm in just casting other people to do that. Yeah. I, I, again, it could just be. Well, that's a Kaufman move. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that throw you off? Wouldn't that just really? It doesn't have to be funny. It doesn't have to be. It would askew your perception of reality, right? It doesn't have to have any purpose beyond just fucking with you. Mm -hmm. That's not what you would expect from this movie. I don't know if you remember me saying this a long time ago, several years ago, when uh, uh, we didn't know what to expect of Dark Knight Rises, mm -hmm. and I was saying that it would be amazing if in the third act 
Heath Ledger shows up and it's revealed that, you know, the Joker was behind everything or whatever. And it's revealed that Heath Ledger never died and that him and Nolan and everybody. I remember and, you telling me this. Yes, yeah. And, and when I looked they, at you very cockeyed. Dude, as I was telling it, even as I'm telling it now, I get excited thinking that that <laughs> could have happened. It would have been amazing because for one, Heath Ledger wouldn't have been dead. Mm-hmm. But also just that amount of... Uh, that doesn't happen. It's not just Kayfabe. wrestling. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not just wrestling. Just movies in general. Everything is spoiled now. Yep. You, you, there, there are very few surprises. And uh, I, I remember thinking that would have been a perfect opportunity. I loathe the movie Cannibal Holocaust, but I will always give credit to the director. Made all the people involved sign like an agreement that they would go into seclusion for a year to make mm-hmm. it seem like they were really killed in the movie. I think that's... We need more things like that these days. <laughs> it, it just can't happen because of social just, media. Right, exactly. Uh, entertainment journalism, as they call it, and all that stuff. Oh, so uh, what it's called. <laughs> yes. It's called, like, I'm going to watch a trailer and then analyze it frame by frame and write seven think pieces about it. Mm-hmm. And just make sure. I, I, there are no surprises by the time I get to the movie. And make sure, whew, is in, is a full <laughs> review. Yes. But... Uh, well, just the whole Heath Ledger insane theory that I had, it's kind of – I imagine that's something that at least some Andy Kaufman fans had. It's not like this – well, like you said, it's not that this movie came up with the idea of, oh, he faked his death. I mean mm-hmm. even in the movie itself, he acknowledges halfway through the movie, doesn't he say something like, I need to stay a step ahead of them? He says something about like, what do I do next? Do I yeah. you know, fake my own death or something? So uh, – that kind of thing. Can you imagine if he was still alive? I was about to say, can you imagine, yeah, or Heath Ledger or any of that? If someone pulled that off, like they would be like the biggest name in the world, right? And nobody would be angry. No, I, don't, I can't imagine anybody being angry at suddenly your beloved star being back in it. Even if, and this is a joke that seen, I've seen online, but it's just it's that big, right? If Tomorrow, Trump gave a uh, uh, a news conference, and either he pulled his mask off and he was Andy Kaufman, or Andy Kaufman came out of you know and said, "Yeah, this was all mm-hmm. this is all a game. You guys are idiots. Yeah, and I fucked with you for two years or whatever." Who would be angry? <laughs> Even the Republicans it would, be, would like, be like, "Oh God, thank you." It would be stunned silence for about thirty seconds, and then <laughs> <laughs> standing ovation. Well, that. that Really, this goes beyond the movie. This is just Andy Kaufman. We're 34 He's been dead for 34 years. Allegedly. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's been dead for 34 years, according to a coroner's report, but people still talk about it like he could be out there alive. Right, because he made sure to create that kind of persona for himself that were you, you're still waiting for it. He would be how old now? In his 70s? Uh, he would be like at 70. Right, and you would be thinking, yeah. He would wait that long. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or the idea of like he'll wait until you know he's on his dying deathbed, and then he'll... he comes back just to die again. Yeah, yeah. Um, really speaks to him as an artist. Like I said, uh, ahead of its time, ahead of his time, ahead of her time. However, you want to phrase it. That terminology is often associated with a positive connotation. Don't get me wrong; it can be negative, but in his instance, I think. Certain approaches he had to show business and comedy in particular were vastly ahead of their time. Um, but not always good. I think that this movie benefits and the Andy Kaufman character benefits from this movie really giving you a condensed version of his act. Yeah. 
Because can you imagine sitting in that auditorium and hearing him read The Great Gatsby in its entirety? That's see, not funny, but yeah. it's funny when you cut to the end. You know, you see the beginning, and then you cut to the end, and there's a guy clapping. That make that 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 is that's a movie, that's, right? Yeah, but see, that's a negative. There are people that do like that anti-comedy shit now, where it really does. To me, all it shows is that you have a very low opinion of your audience. <laughs> um, they do a little bit better with it here. Like um, Billy Corgan comes to mind of I don't want to play my hits. It's like, well, then you probably should have never written them and recorded them and made millions and millions of dollars off of them. With Andy, the way the movie paints it, it kind of makes sense why he resents the Latka character because he never wanted to do it to begin with right. type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a bit different, but still the contempt for your audience, that's something I really don't have patience for. But he also, like the like I said, have you seen the SNL Mighty Mouse thing? No, no, no. It's I, I almost only like this. oh, it's almost but, like spot on. But that—that's funny. Like right, the really that is, insecure. That yeah, yeah. yeah well, he has because there's more to it than him just kind of like singing every now and then. It's also he does a thing where he he drinks a sip of water mm-hmm. that gets a lot from the audience. And then there's a the moment where he's about to sing. He gets confused about yeah. his part. That he's <laughs> about to sing and he realizes that's not his time. It's mm. that's just great. Uh, but but I could totally imagine going to a comedy club and getting early Andy Kaufman up there singing a bullshit song about the sounds that animals make. Yeah. I would be... I, I wouldn't enjoy it. And how dare he <laughs> look down on me for not enjoying his weird comedy. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the difficult to work with, I did read Jerry Lawler. It, that, I, I'm not going to take much Jerry Lawler says at face value, but <laughs> he did say uh, he was difficult to work with, but... They had since made amends because Jim Carrey himself is a wrestling fan. He's one of the more famous low-key wrestling fans because a lot of celebrities that are into it kind of go out of their way to promote that they're wrestling fans Uh for street cred or whatever. But um, when Jerry Lawler was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, Jesus, that was 10 years ago, uh, they asked Jim Carrey to do it to induct him, and Jim Carrey's response was, I don't want to be there because I don't want my presence to take away from the attention of the people going in the Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. Which is like the nicest and also classiest way of saying, I appreciate it, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> and so. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the nicest way of saying, I'm a bigger star than he is. <laughs> yeah, well, that that is, well, and that's a fact. But yeah, I, <laughs> I thought that was kind of a cool way of uh, addressing that. Danny DeVito, to me, because I think I mentioned it earlier. To me, he's the MVP. I was just about to say, I think my favorite scene in it is the diner scene where he tells them they have cancer. No kidding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, hands down. I, I mean, I think DeVito is beyond solid all throughout. I think I'm used to seeing him as this, generally, as an over-the-top comedic character. Dude, and especially in the 21st, since the turn of the millennium, he's just become like... Right. It's yeah. like... He's it's always Frank sunny. Reynolds, it, yeah. It, yeah. But uh, here, he's the straight man. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was talking about reaction shots earlier, and he's just so good. At I love be- when he flips out on Giamatti. He's like, if I find out you're behind this. <laughs> but it's very realistic. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's the not, over it's the not played for comedy. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was. he really cares. Uh, he's uh, at his funeral at the end. He has a single tear going. It's it's pretty awesome. But, yeah, that scene at the, where he – Tells him that he has cancer. It's just great. And that's my other big scene for uh, Corny Love. I don't think she doesn't do much, but she has. She's getting that. Her reaction, she's the only one that believes it from the beginning. Yeah. And then she's the one that storms off. And it's, it, she has like maybe half a line, mm-hmm. but she's great. And everybody's great. 
the the different reactions from everybody and that scene really drives the point home yeah uh of well the boy who cried wolf mm. definitely yeah. you know it's just how ironic you spend you know all this time fucking with people and now when something really serious happens nobody believes you nope. yeah i thought that was excellent and uh best acted scene in the film and yeah it's just it's such a difficult thing to judge carrie's performance on this just it, i mean and, and especially because you just showed me that clip uh, right before we started recording. We show, you showed me that clip of the real Andy Kaufman talking to Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sound like Jim Carrey sounds in the movie. No. He sounds like, for lack of a better word, a normal guy. Yeah. You know, he doesn't sound like a character. He's obviously playing it up because he's trying to be an asshole or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't I'm have... from Hollywood. Right. No. He doesn't have all those mannerisms that... that Carrie always has in the movie, mm-hmm. even when he's by himself with uh, with Corny Love, where you would think this is the moment where he's just completely mm-hmm. naked. He still talks, has that little weird, like, all the mannerisms. The yeah. yeah. So uh, that actually makes me even less satisfied, I guess, with Carrie's performance. Yeah. But we go back to the issue of adaptations. It was like, well, if we separate it from reality... It's a character that he put on a movie, and maybe I buy it. Except that here, if we're working under the thesis that the entire purpose of the movie is it's to bring, bring him back, yeah, yeah, then you can't really separate it from the life of Andy Kaufman. Uh, which I was going to say also, the one, the number one thing that's not flushed out at all why he is that is his belief in holistic medicine and like yeah, it just kind of happens. You, you just have to take it for granted because that's which would again, if we're going under the guise that you say we are, <laughs> that would that would make perfect sense. Um, yeah, honestly, I, and we mentioned Contreras Corner. I the one thing that doesn't really hold water, even with the with with the this is an extension of Andy Kaufman angle, is Corny Love's character's relationship to him. Why would she hook up with him at all? Yeah, that doesn't. That's something that feels like it needs to be explained, even if this is just part of, of a gag, because it's never played for laughs. Really, it's no. it's really played as the heart of the movie in a way, and. It just happens. There's, you never see it through her eyes as to understand why she would be attracted to him, why she would feel for him. Mm-hmm. He's he's a douchebag from the beginning. Yeah, um, it must have been a hell of a movie that he took her to. <laughs> I think it would have been a Taxi Driver or something like that. Um, he probably thought it'd be funny. I'm yeah, a show called Taxi. <laughs> he probably told her that it's like they're making a movie about the show. Oh, Latka finally gets behind the wheel. <laughs> I-, I wasn't kidding in the Contrarian's corner either. That that shit about David Letterman just makes me love him so much more. <laughs> well, Letterman is great. I can't even imagine what his reaction is. And the real version so, of the thing. But it, here, he reacts just like I would expect Letterman to react. Yeah, he's basically in this a caricature of how he actually reacted. And that he was way more concerned when it actually happened. Because they were just like... Kaufman was just saying, fuck, 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 fuck on like, live right, television. And, and, and Letterman was not in on the joke. Correct. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's not a joke. It's a, <laughs> it's a prestigious business. Uh, I don't know if Andy Kaufman would agree with you. <laughs> well, he made money off of it in notoriety. <laughs> but... The six hundred million plus the WWE made last year would agree with me. <laughs> the most classic Letterman thing I've heard of, just him. No, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I looked away and look. Like yeah, that's like a Johnny Depp type thing. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really am thinking I'm gonna have to watch this again. Um, after after you do a deep dive on Andy Kaufman. Yeah, and I I I dislike the fact that you planted that seed in my mind that <laughs> I may have misinterpreted the movie, and so I would need to watch it again. Uh, yeah, that, that's the thing. My complaints, my criticisms, what have you, all derive from the pacing and what the movie chooses to focus on for longer increments of time, because the acting is all very, very good. It's like an A-list cast, too, and Courtney Love. You keep hating on Kearney Love, and then and that that she killed my boy KC, man. That magical uh, M Night Shyamalan twist in between uh, Contrarian's Corner and this. I asked you if you'd seen the People versus Larry Flint, mm-hmm. and you said no, no. And I was like, how can you hate on Kearney Love, or how can you roll your eyes at her Oscar nomination when you haven't seen that movie? Because it's Courtney Love. Uh, I think. I think you will. But be again, Wanted is an Academy Award nominated film. Bruh, I was reading the '99 or the 2000 Oscars, so it would have been movies in '99. Haley Joel Osment was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I have not seen Six Sense probably since 1999. It's, was he the supporting? I it's, felt like it's Bruce Willis's movie. Okay. Yeah. I thought. And then Tony Collette is Haley Joel Osment's mom. In yes. That. Yeah. Whew. I, I'm kind of afraid to rewatch it just because it's in my mind held up. It's the up. greatest movie yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I, 11 or 12 when I saw it. And can you imagine being an 11 or 12 year old and oh, that twist yeah. ending? Had you seen the trailer? Because watching the movie, I remember when I watched it in theaters the first time, I got the feeling that when he says, I see that people, that's supposed to be a big reveal. And that happens. Yes. In the trailer. In the, that, the trailer spoiled it. Yeah. Well, but that takes you off the scent of Bruce Willis being dead, though. Well, yeah, but that's... I oh, mean, spoiler I mean, alert. <laughs> I don't think that... I don't know. I don't think that would have caught on. How is uh, that like, for some shit? That some Andy Kaufman shit? Fucking uh, M. Night Shyamalan, 20 years later, will still get funding for movies just based on that moment alone uh, i think you're disregarding unbreakable and how much oh, money signs made i think you're over regarding unbreakable <laughs> signs signs is good it made a lot of money that's the thing it's <laughs> got the alien walking upright to that brazilian kid's <laughs> birthday party uh, i never saw lady in the water never saw the village the happening is quite bad it's beyond bad the happening is downright like that's Aloha level filmmaker. Woo! Filmmaking. That's yeah. That's not good. Man, you're playing for keeps with that one. <laughs> it's I, you need to rewatch the happening if you think that was rough because I could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really seen, bad. I think I watched the happening when I was in college, just on a whim, and I saw it in the theaters. I remember that. Me too. Yeah, it was thoroughly disappointed. His first R-rated movie, and he just. It was R. Oh yeah, yeah that little that was, kid gets shot with a shotgun. Yep, and that was the big thing. That was one of the selling points. Everybody was saying, "Oh yeah, he's it's his first rated R movie, so you know it's gonna it's gonna fuck it's, you up." Is it the wind or the plants? The plants. The plants are going crazy, and the wind is carrying the sickness. I think that's what's happening. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter. It sucks. Fuck <laughs> you, way. M Night Shyamalan. It was. Uh, what's a well? He's done two movies since then. And they were not as bad as the uh, happening. I think the happening just kind of like sets the tone. The last the tone. airbender. Oh, never mind. Okay, so the happening and the last airbender are terrible. 
And but they kind of like set the tone so that anything else that he did after it would be a step up. Yeah. Didn't he do a movie called Devil or Elevator he Devil? Just, he just produced it. No, Devil but Elevator. He, he did. <laughs> he did uh, the visit, I think, which is about the kids that visit their grandparents. And the grandparents are actually. Oh, wasn't that like presented like a found footage movie? Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 That hasn't been done to death. <laughs> it's not. It's not as bad. It's nowhere near as bad. It's actually okay. Uh, and then he did another movie, I want to say. Well, I don't know. I screened the visit and it was okay. Mm. But uh, Man of the Moon is better than oh yeah, uh, <laughs> any of them. Maybe not Unbreakable, but I would say give me more to think uh, than Sixth Sense. I mean, my, my argument has always been that if the Sixth Sense doesn't have that twist, mm-hmm. then... It's just a movie that's built up to that twist. Very real possibility that you are correct. It also has cracked out Donnie Wahlberg as the bad guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, can't go wrong there. You don't see that very often. And the 99 winner for Best Picture, 2000 winner, was uh, American Beauty, which unfortunately now... Certain aspects of it have aged poorly. <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. Are we doing plugs for the bonus episode? Uh, well, I have like a, a couple of like very quick notes. Okay. Um, but also... Um, As you're listening to this, if you're listening to this the uh, weekend it's released, I am in New Orleans binging, purging. Cutting your hair. Going, Yeah, shaving my head finally. Going on the mother of all benders. Because like I was telling you before we record, I feel like my life is on pause until this WrestleMania is over. And so much tension in my life and so much tension in this WrestleMania that I'm just... You need a Tony Clifton just to release some of that I tension. I do. I'm, I'm going to fucking start going to an open mic night as Tony Clifton. <laughs> God, I can't be that mean to people, though. I mean, yeah. that's How long would it last before you felt bad? Oh, dude, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I would just start making fun of myself. Like That's, <laughs> that's a, not Tony Clifton. Exactly. No. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't do it. Um, but I can go to an open mic night and just go up there and start reading Great Gatsby. There you go. That, yeah. That's something. Uh, the uh, how how would you rate it? Like, what's your? Uh, the more and more time that's gone by, it's been like two and a half hours since the movie ended, and I <laughs> I need to watch it again. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the acting more than I thought I was going to, but the movie as a whole, I still. I think that review that said leaving it with an empty feeling is the most accurate I've come across. And I'll have to rewatch it before I can say definitively, but uh, really enjoyed the performances and in it. So oh. give me a letter uh, where I'm standing at right now is like a B minus C plus C plus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, a B minor <laughs> or B minus just to rest your hat on there. Um, yeah. I think I'm, I'm at, it's gone up. Since the last time I watched it, and definitely since the first time I watched it, uh, I'll put it at four and a half stars out of five. I like it that much, but I really think that the Kearney Love character is a problem in mm-hmm. the sense that she doesn't get developed when she should. Yeah. So four and a half stars for me. Do you have Do you have WrestleMania plugs? Uh, it'll be the weekend of. So. Um... Do you have predictions? You have WrestleMania predictions. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get very drunk and have a good time. Uh, Roman Reigns is gonna win. Uh, Nakamura is gonna win. Oscar's gonna win. Um, 
my longtime close personal friend Matthew Riddle is going to do some serious work that weekend. <laughs> Very much looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I'm going to dress up like Bull Nakano and we'll post pictures. Please. Yeah, that will be on the Contrarian's webpage. Um, I have two quick notes. One is uh, that our friends from uh, Bearsome Film, the podcast mm-hmm. that we plugged uh, on the Tank Girl episode a couple episodes ago, literally as soon as the, the episode is done, they changed the name of their podcast. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter that they changed the name of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so now it's called uh, We Watched a Thing. Like, thankfully, I, I, it happened right as I was about to post, so on the... The actual on the actual episode post. notes, yeah, yeah I, I changed it. I said, hey, now there we watch a thing. But now I'm officially saying it on an actual podcast episode that uh, Bearsome Film is now we watched a thing. They're still Australian. They're still hairy, mm-hmm. I, I gather. So <laughs> uh, it'd be really weird if like, your gimmick is that you're really hairy for a podcast. It's like nobody knows, but still, you're just with it. That's classic Andy. Classic Andy. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to update people on my uh, – Long-standing, uh, I guess, love fest with uh, Rachel Bloom and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh. I, I got to see her live last week. That's I don't right. Know if you saw yeah. my, my posts. I I was really frustrated. I don't remember if I told you about this because I I wanted to see her live. She was doing a tour. She is doing a tour of eight cities, and I was getting ready to travel to Chicago to watch mm-hmm. there. But then tickets were sold out, uh, and then thankfully she was coming to South by Southwest to promote a movie that she's in. So she did a show in Austin, and uh, so I went to that one, and she was great. Nice. She was everything I hoped for other than the show being longer. <laughs> it was like an hour and 45 minutes, and I it was great. The crowd was very much into it. It was at the State Theater mm-hmm. you know, right next to Paramount. So it was it was packed, but it was still – it felt like an intimate venue. Excellent. Uh, it was her and her two co-writers. I got to see her tap dance live. It, it was just great. Uh, my fiance texted me after the show. She said, like, how was the show? And I was like, Rachel Bloom just replaced Kate Winslet as my number one celebrity crush. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. But uh, no, she was great. It was a lot of fun. I really hope that she does more of this because I would like to see it again. Uh, the tour that she's actually doing is with actors from the show. Mm-hmm. She'll have some actors from the show there. So it they'll get into different songs than what they did now. Because now it's just what she could do with her two co-writers and he was still great. So, but anyway, uh, very big moment for me. Awesome. Yeah. That was, that was my WrestleMania, Alex. There you go. And you're actually, to be fair, as we mentioned, your WrestleMania will be here in the fall for Austin. That's right. Austin Festival. This This was, was uh, this was like your summer slammer survivor series. There you go. Yeah. I didn't even get drunk. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to be in new Orleans. I really have no choice. Uh, and God, WrestleMania is going to be like fucking seven hours this year. I'm going to have no choice but to just something pass the time. I've already decreed that the Ronda Rousey match is when I'm going to get up from my seat and go and stretch my legs and get my hot dog. What if she brings Turtle as part of the... <laughs> Dude. How is Turtle not the champion of uh, intergender wrestling or MMA? <laughs> or if we were getting to a shoot discussion about intergender wrestling, that, that's... I get a lot of shit because I really like intergender wrestling is like a thing now on the indies, but it's presented as like, I'm sorry, independent wrestling, mm-hmm. but it's presented as like real. And it's like, oh yeah, these, this is like a real fight. And it's like one, I'm not down with watching simulated domestic abuse. And two, 
don't insult my fucking intelligence that this 115 pound woman can body slam this 300 pound dude. But yeah, I've been called a sexist for saying that. Okay, Alex, not even 30 minutes ago or so, you were you were uh, just yearning for the good old days when when people really committed to the bit. So and- Andy Kaufman, like very haphazardly grappling and taking someone down is a lot different than a 300 pound guy doing a front flip sell for a woman kicking him in the back of the head that's that is insulting to my intelligence if yeah i mean i also on the same token if andy kaufman had been like simulating decking those women in the face and like kicking him i don't want to see that either yeah which it happens actually in the movie a couple of times where he kicks him on the ground or he kicks uh I mean, he's not like a badass kicker, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he kicks Corny Love on the ground when they're the first time they, they wrestle. Yeah, and that's also like that's the that was the joke. He he looked like someone that you know anyone could beat up type of thing. Not to discriminate, because you got to be so careful the way you pick your words. But yeah, there's this fucking asshole wrestler named Joey Ryan. Go fuck yourself, Joey. He was giving me shit on. <laughs> he. Uh, he Always en- here, the contrarians, making friends. <laughs> he engaged me on Twitter talking shit. He's like, because uh, he's into that intergender wrestling shit. And I'm just, I'm like, there's a reason that the heavyweight champion in boxing male does not fight the heavyweight champion of the female division. And, and also that I don't appreciate watching simulated domestic abuse. And he's like, well, you know, what I do is the same thing as the, the Avengers or Star Wars. And I'm just like, yes, intergalactic overlords fighting is the exact same thing that you fucking do. Twitter's such a... You should have asked him which Avenger he identifies with. <laughs> I was just like... Is he Hawkeye or does he have special powers? That's his go-to argument. Is, oh, it's the same thing as the Avengers, the X-Men, or Star Wars. It's like, you are a fucking idiot. Um, but he has legions of fans, which is good for him, and... I just stopped engaging those topics because oh, those fans that I just heard running away from our podcast that that was yeah <laughs> that was the, the crossover demographic of Joey Ryan's fans <laughs> and uh, Rotten Tomatoes supporters. <laughs> it's the type of thing where obviously this is a podcast that I help do, so I can express my opinions at the same time. And you can like what you like, and especially with the way the accessibility of Twitter is and everything, to me, there's no point in me venting on there just to have, like, my inbox flooded with people calling me an idiot and shit. Yeah, like what you like. At the same time, I'm entitled to my opinion. Like, I have enough of that with my opinions about American Hustle. Yeah, exactly. And by flooded my inbox, it's just, like, 80 replies from Chaz. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Entitled to my own opinions about things, much like my opinion on this movie is, I'm going to have to watch it again. That was a purred happily right there. Is what <laughs> <Yes>. it, <laughs> I was watching Parks Road the other day. like, we're calling it Twitter Watergate until we can come up with a more appealing name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this has gone off the rails, but uh, I am very much looking forward to WrestleMania. I very much enjoyed watching this movie. Julio, do you have anything else before we go? No, sir. Uh, this is... Uh... I, I honestly I couldn't tell you when is this posting again. Uh, first weekend of April. It'll probably be around like April fourth or fifth is when it's posted. So midweek. Okay, so we still after this post we still have one more Kevin Smith episode and then we launch into yeah into the the they, summer business. They will have listened to uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and um, Kevin Smith, and then yes, the summer of Travolta is upon us. Yep, it's uh, those summer nights are upon us. <laughs> 
but with that being said, we do appreciate you joining us for the third year on this WrestleMania bonus episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And we will catch you next time and next year for WrestleMania 4. Yeah.